You are listening to Down Home. Episode 2. In this episode, we talk to longtime friend Kevin Yard about systemic racism here in Canada. Breaking new crab, breaking new Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. I'm Derek Wise. I'm Jay Jones. Jay Jones down there. And our guest today this week is uh, Kevin Yard, a great friend of ours, social worker, father, and uh, lifelong Torontonian. Uh, Kevin, thanks for doing the podcast. This is awesome, man. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. And you forgot all around nice guy. All around, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. man. Do your research, D. Do your research. Do your know, research. Man. I'm lacking. I'm lacking. I, I, I thought I said that in the brief bio. But anyways, listen. Yeah. Hey, first of all, uh, before I get into myself and introduce myself, really wanted to congratulate both of you. Um, you know, I've been privileged to have conversations with sure. you guys in and around um, your desire to start the podcast. So good to see that it's finally here. Uh, really excited to be here. And thanks for the invitation. And especially today, uh, when we marked the, uh, the election of um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So cheers to that. Cheers to that. Hello. Cheers to that. Yeah, in terms of uh, me and who I am, um, Born, uh, born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, dad of Bayesian descent, uh, mom of Jamaican descent, lived here until I was one, uh, then lived in Jamaica until the age of uh, six, then returned to Toronto, where I've been uh, situated ever since. Um, uh, grew up, um, you know, really, really supportive uh, parents. Um, really a, a strong sense of uh, religion growing up and, and the sense of uh, identity and conversations around race and, and sort of some of the barriers um, uh, that Black people, especially Black, ma black males face. Uh, went to university, got my master's uh, in social work uh, and have been working ever since at the Children's Aid Society of Toronto, the largest child welfare organization in uh, North America. First 18 years at CAS, I spent my time as a children's service worker, whereas working with young people who, uh, for a variety of different reasons, were no longer living uh, with their birth families or natural family. Uh, so they were living in uh, foster care or in some cases, uh, group homes. So did that for 18 years. Uh, the last two years, I've been one of six uh, anti-Black racism practice, practice leads in the agency, um, where we're really, I think, um, probably for the first time taking an intentional look at, at how uh, systemic racism uh, plays a part in terms of the outcomes for Black racialized and Indigenous communities. Uh, Dee, in the clip that you sent me, you were talking about systemic racism and you sort of uh, listed off some of the institutions uh, that perpetuate uh, racism right the police health um, criminal justice uh, one of the things that wasn't mentioned was uh, child welfare uh, so in specifically in toronto um, uh, the black community makes up i think at this point it's about nine percent of the total population but overrepresented in child welfare um, 42 43 percent of the children in care are black uh, so wow really, uh, when we talk about systemic racism and the impacts of that, um, in terms of the work that, that we're doing now with the agency is really focusing on the impacts of anti-Black racism on a systemic level and how it's impacted the community. So really happy to be doing doing that work. That's oh, awesome. Man. That's that awesome. is amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Cheers to you, man, once again. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's uh, very important work. Mm-hmm. Very, very important work. What, what, um, what attracted you to social work? Oh, man. Why do you, D, why do you ask me that question? You know, listen, <laughs> I, 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 I'd love to say um, uh, that <laughs> I always knew that uh, I, I was going to be sort of uh, drawn to social work and, and that's what I'd be doing, but uh, that necessarily wasn't the case. Um, grew up. Uh, my parents were big fans of Perry Mason. And so from a young age, it was, you know, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer. Um, and so I don't know if they were disappointed when I, when I told them I was going into social work. But I discovered social work um, sort of at the end of my undergrad, right? Had uh, worked at summer camps, had really liked uh, working with young people. Um, you know, at a young age, um, I think there was so much value in sort of uh, the experiences of uh, children and youth and learned so much from them and really enjoyed that work. I love building relationships. And so it was near the end of my undergrad that uh, sort of social work was introduced to me. And it was that time that I'd, uh, I'd applied to uh, the MSW program, the two-year MSW program at U of T. Um, and really you know, when I look back, I think there's nothing else that uh, I'd rather be doing. Uh, there's nothing else I think that would give me any any greater pleasure or joy, uh, the opportunity um, uh, to work with young people who have gone through sort of traumatic experience, but still uh, exhibit um, such resilience, such courage and bravery. And I've learned so much from the children and youth that I've been, that, that I've worked with uh, over the 18 years. And even in terms of the work that I'm doing now, Mm-hmm. in terms of the equity and ABR work is really grounded mm-hmm. in outcomes for the children, youth, and families we work with. That's first and foremost in everything that we do. Right. Uh, and that, that's the center of everything we do. So just really feel fortunate and privileged to be doing the work that I do. Awesome. That's amazing, man. Uh, it's very important work. And it sounds like you're sort of found that path that you needed to be on. And you are that type of person knowing you for so long um, that, you know, can really bring forth that change. But uh, as far as trauma goes, like you mentioned, some of these children, you know, obviously come from a lot of trauma. What about you in the sense of what, what, what was it like for you growing up in Toronto yourself, you know, being mm-hmm. a black, black, what was it that, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. You know, so as part of, as part of the work, <clears throat> That I'm, that I'm doing now in, in terms of the equity work, um, you know, we play a clip from uh, Dr. Kenneth Hardy, psychologist in the States, and he talks about sort of racial socialization and when, do you, when did you sort of first think about yourself racially? Um, so I think living in Jamaica, uh, a homogenous society, I don't think you think about race in, this, race in the same ways, but it's funny coming here, um, and one of the things that I remember is uh, being placed in ESL. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, coming, coming to Toronto at the age of six, um, had been in school, obviously, in Jamaica, um, right, and coming here and being placed in ESL. And I think if not for my, for my dad's advocacy, you know, what was like a week or 10 day stint in ESL could have been uh, a much longer stint, right? And I remember getting into fights at a very, yeah. very early age, um, being in a uh, predominantly white school. Right. And I think you're just trying to fit in. (laughs) It's true. It's very true. You know, you're just really uh, trying to fit in. Uh, It's all about survival. So when you think about that transition, new country, uh, new culture, uh, 
race and being othered in a way that you weren't in Jamaica. Um, uh, you know, I think initially an extremely, extremely difficult transition for me. Um, you know, as I, as I grew up, uh, predominantly sort of white schools where, where you're really trying to fit in. And I've had conversations now looking back, you know, I think Jay, you had said something um, that, that struck me in the clip that uh, Dee had sent me about, you know, when you're living it, uh, you don't necessarily feel it or see it in the same way. But now when you reflect, you're like, oh my goodness. The things that I endured, the things that were said to me, and you're just, you're just trying to, to get along. Uh, yeah. Right. And it, and it's an unsafe uh, space um, to really advocate for yourself in the way that you would like to, in the way that you should, uh, and you're silenced. Um, so I think, you know, growing up, uh, I think I was silenced um right uh and not necessarily because of anything inherent in me as a person and my characteristics but the space that the space was in a safe space uh, yeah, to, to yeah really, it's um to really it's like how how similar uh when you're talking about your ex your school experience uh jay uh, mentioned uh very similar experiences and and in, in having that that feeling yeah yeah of, of um, being isolated like <clears throat> Like I've I've talked several times about how the neighborhood I grew up in was mostly black, and I didn't feel that until actually high school. It was, it was very strange, mm -hmm. very strange. But uh, yeah, that. Uh, so you talked a little bit about. Um, well, you you did mention that uh, the systemic uh, racism uh, uh, hurdles that mm -hmm. some of these uh, at risk youth that you've been working with. Um, can you be a bit more specific? What 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 does a a, a child in the system? What 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 are they facing? Yeah, you know we we, we do a lot of work around uh, sort of implicit or unconscious bias, right? Um, and so, are there, you know, forty two percent of Black children in care? Are they there because they're really at risk and in, in need of protection um, or is our system sort of steeped in white supremacy and Eurocentrism um, and wow. they're there because of sort of the biases um, that that we have as a system uh, about black families. Um, so, so I think um, you know, when you talk about systemic racism and you think about the policies, you think about uh, the associations that we have around the Black family, that it, so much of the decisions and so much of the outcomes are steeped in those associations that are linked back to colonization and enslavement. You know, the Black community is savage or is inferior or is mm -hmm. in, need of, in need of protection. Um, Right, and so so much of the decisions are based and steeped in those biases, um, and so when we talk about systemic racism, we're just recreating uh, a system that was uh, was created to maintain the dominant status quo. Right, very much so. Yeah, right? very much so. Of, it's so uh, it's so ingrained. It, it is so ingrained, right? And and a lot of our attention has been. Uh, spent when I say we sort of societally at, at looking at sort of the police, uh, right, and, and the impact uh, that their actions have on the black community, but other systems, um, 
are, are compromised, um, mm -hmm. right? In, 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 and maybe not in the same way. And so it's yeah. interesting, D, when I heard that list, I'm like, child, child welfare is a perfect example of that, yeah. about the ideal of white supremacy and Eurocentrism that had such a major impact on indigenous and black communities. Yeah. Wow, you know, you, you think about yeah. residential schooling, right? You think about the impact that, that they had in sort of stripping indigenous peoples of their language, of their culture. And, and it's the same thing uh, that they've done uh, to the black community. To definitely. Definitely so. From, from your yeah. community. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a sad state of affairs when you sort of have, you know, like you were saying earlier, like you don't really notice it because you're just really trying to survive. Yeah. But uh, coming from it as a little bit older mm -hmm. and really starting to understand how the world works, you know, all these things have triggered something into me looking back mm -hmm. at how I grew up. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, wow, you know, and it's almost as if sometimes I wasn't exactly myself because mm -hmm. I was trying to be someone else. So I wouldn't be looked at as that mm -hmm. person they didn't want to see, you know, like, mm -hmm. cause you, I was black and that, that is striked. That's strike 10 because <laughs> mm -hmm. there's so many different things that come from that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a definitely a sad state state of affairs, and I can only imagine you see it more uh, in a you know more intense everyday way, you know, especially when it comes to families and how it directly affects the communities and the misrepresentation of of minorities, you know. Yeah, and 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 I think the thing is when when we have these conversations, um, <clears throat> you know, my colleagues at work predominantly white. One of the things. Um, that, that we talk about or that we're mindful of is, you know, you also don't want people to pity the community, True. right? You don't want them to start thinking, oh my goodness, I feel sorry for, uh, but instead it's about recognizing the resilience, the strength, the love, all of those positive attributes that we as black people know that we have yes. um, and that get lost in white supremacy, uh, yeah. that get gets lost in sort of systemic institutional racism and bias, right? And yeah. so it's really about acknowledging the strength of the community um, right. And so, D, when you talk about sort of how it plays out, another example is, you know, uh, when a young person comes into care, um, we don't necessarily do a good job of searching for kin and kith. So, you know, who are, you know, they talk about it takes a village to raise a child, but we don't necessarily right. do a good job of an, uh, as, a, as an agency of reaching out um, to fathers, uh, to extended family, um, mm -hmm. right? So one of the saddest things sometimes is to hear, you know, a young person has been in care for, you know, four or five years, and then you, you, you finally uh, are able to get in touch with family, family members. And like, I had no idea. Wow. Like, if I knew this, um, I would have come forward a lot earlier, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But again, it speaks to the fact that you know, black children, the perception or the belief that black children are in need of, of uh, support or in need of help uh, from, from systems. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's, that's yeah. Uh, another concept that we've been kind of uh, kicking around when, um, when people talk of systemic racism. It's not necessarily this, this black hat evil thing that, um, mm. you know, our, our white friends are like, ah, oh, we're, we're, we're going to make this person downtrodden. These are things that are ingrained in the existing systems. Yeah. yeah. So even when, you know, these, these um, organizations, these systems are, are trying to help, 
you have to hurdle over things that have been ingrained in these systems for decades and decades and decades, right? It's changing um, ideas and changing people's mindsets to think outside of that box that Mm. has been set up and is in set in concrete. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Yeah, D, and I think it goes to that point that you, you know you're you're you know you're trying to change systems that weren't created for us. <laughs> yeah, there's right? that. So, so in some ways, the systems are doing exactly uh, what they were designed to do. Yeah, um, control right? and right, you know, right, yeah, and and, yeah. And, main, and maintain the status quo and support the dominant group. Um, so when you think about changing it, you're going to be met with a, a lot of uh, resistance mm-hmm. uh, because people want to maintain power. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. The, uh, now, um, one thing I wanted to touch on uh, is the trip that you took uh, to Nova Scotia, I think it was 2016. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. We wanted to get your, your, your take of the, uh, the Black Nova Scotian experience. Like, that's a very broad question, but, you know, you can take that, that question however you want. Mm. First of all, let me just stand up a little bit and just uh, ah. represent. Hey. <laughs> represent. <Yeah. laughs> okay, all right. You're, you're For all of our podcast listeners out there, Kevin just showed us that he was wearing an Africville t-shirt. We'll be covering what happened in Africville in a future video. You're, you're hired. I have to... Have to- my mom would be happy to know that I had to iron it out before I came on screen. <laughs> um, listen, I, I, I think the hardest thing uh, for me as I reflect on the trip in uh, 2016, and so just maybe a little context. So um, in the agency, um, you know, very early on, 15 years ago, uh, black staff, uh, along with some white staff, had sort of realized um, before we were talking about disproportionality, had realized and acknowledged disproportionality and uh, was really trying to uh, find innovative uh, ways in which to connect uh, Black youth and care to their Blackness, to their, to their heritage. So the um, Soul Journey was designed and it's a trip that takes, you know, anywhere from 30 to 36 uh, Black youth uh, in care uh, to different parts of North America. So New York, Washington, D.C., Alabama. We wow. traveled, traveled to Jamaica, Detroit, Windsor, spent some time in Toronto, Buxton, um, and Nova Scotia, I think, three times. Uh, so one of the interesting things for me, um, both during the trip and even now, four years later, is how, I, how disconnected I was from the Black experience in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you mm-hmm. talk about systemic racism, you know, an, another one of the manifestations is education and what you learn and what is your history. Um, so didn't really know about the black loyalists, the Maroons who settled uh, in Jamaica and then traveled to Sierra Leone because of um, the circumstances and the environment that they faced uh, once in Nova Scotia. I didn't know about Africville. Uh, so there's this sadness that comes right? There's a sadness about this is, this is, this is Canadian history, not just uh, the African Canadian experience, but this is Canadian mm-hmm. history that, that we weren't taught. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's a sadness uh, about that. Um, you know, just really, I, I mean, I think traveling North Preston, we were, we were in a, a coach bus. Um, and, 
and the roads were such that they're like, you know, there are there certain places that you couldn't even access. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. you couldn't yeah. even get through out of fear that we would be stuck. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking and um, the, we, we had a tour guide and we we're talking about, well, if they have to go to the, the hospital or the doctor, just when you look at the infrastructure, like you couldn't believe in 2016 that this was the Black Canadian experience. Um, and, 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 and in some ways, uh, it, it's extremely devastating to see um, what we've done uh, to the community. Uh, but the flip side to that is, I mean, the people in Nova Scotia couldn't be any nicer. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh. When we <laughs> yeah. talk, when we talk about sense of community, when we talk about uh, connection to history, when we talk about pride, um, it was so evident and people were so nice. I, I remember, um, I think when we arrived uh, at the time, uh, Professor uh, Wander Bernard, now Senator Bernard, uh, met us at Dalhousie uh, and, and spoke to, to the young people, right? And, oh, excellent. And, and when I contrast that with the experience and, and Jay, and we, we both talk about this in terms of growing up and just mm -hmm. wanting to assimilate and not wanting to uh, make any waves. Uh, yeah. You think about the opportunity for our kids to experience that mm -hmm. and how different that was from our upbringing. Uh, yes. Right. Um, I think those are probably the things uh, that, that, that stand out to me the, the most about that, that trip. That's amazing. But it's sad, like I, like I say, it's so sad that, uh, you know, the curriculum today doesn't teach that to to our youth, you know, especially yeah. the black youth. And, you know, you're you're a grown man with a career family man, and you just found out about it four years ago, mm -hmm. you know, the history. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of black studies has, have been, um, I don't know, almost relegated to post-secondary studies, like, it, and you have to choose yeah. it as an elective. You have to choose it. Yeah, and you, have, exactly. you, have to, you, have, you have to search it out. Yeah, you have to search yeah. it out. Yeah, right? yeah. you have to search yeah. it out. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's, uh, it is unfortunate. It but, just takes, uh, a, it takes away from the, our, our identity when you really break it down and where to look at it. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, oh, my God, this really breaks you down of who you really think you are or who you, who you need to be, like, you know? And, and, and I think and I think the other thing, it, it, it upholds this myth about who we are as Canadians. Yeah. Yes. Right? The, the fact that we're, we're loving, we're accepting. Like, we've got a, a, a history steeped in colonialism and enslavement. Oh, yeah. definitely. Um, and, yeah. and, and we don't acknowledge that. Uh, we, we don't talk about that. I think the Ontario Black History Society recently, I think, just, take, just took um, a history book uh, and uh, I think marked out uh, in Black all of the, the content that didn't speak uh, specifically to the African-Canadian experience. Yeah. And, I, and I can't remember how many pages were they were left with, but I'm not sure it would even fill a chapter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? definitely not, yeah. Right? No, we, we, I think we get caught up in um, contrasting ourselves with the Americans a little too much. Big time. And um, I, I do it myself sometimes. Yeah. Like I say, well, at least, at least this, at least that, at least, at least this hasn't happened to me. At least mm -hmm. that hasn't happened. But we have our own version up here. Yeah. Um, oh, for and sure. If you blink, a lot of the, the um, you know, experiences uh whether it be uh systemic racism or outright racism if you blink mm. we miss it 
Yeah. But then it's the type of situation where you go home and you go, you know, I don't know how I feel about the way that police officer really treated me. I don't quite, you know, but it's, yeah. it's so slight and uh, I don't, I, I don't know the word I'm trying to think of, but it's, uh, it, we do get caught up with saying, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. It, it, it is that bad though. Yeah, it's definitely bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not explicit in the same way that it is, that it is in the States. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Cause we, we have this, uh, you know, appearance of being such a, being such a multicultural country mm. kind of covers that up, you know? And, mm -hmm. but when you really break it down, yeah, there's, everything is systematically placed to, uh, you know, just take away from any experience of feeling like a normal human being sometimes. Yeah. If you look at where you come from and you're not a part of the, the, the powerful majority, right? You know? Yeah. And yeah, and I don't even like. I mean, I, I think I just said that it's not as explicit in the states, and and, and that's yeah. even true, right? Because I think there are examples all the time. You know, Defonte Miller. Um, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of that experience and the sentencing uh, that just took place um, last week. Uh, so I think it's maybe we don't want to think it's as explicit. Exactly. We don't want to believe uh, that we have the same issues here, uh, and mm -hmm. it's easier for us to sort of deflect and say, well, we're not as bad as the states, and that gives us some. Some, I, I don't even know what it is. It makes us feel better about ourselves and yeah. things aren't as bad here. Yeah. But yeah, in the in the Devonte Miller case, uh, one of the off-duty officers was actually acquitted. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. not great. It's yeah. not great at all. But you have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The song Breaking New Ground from The Breakdown. On a high plateau from the one down below to the future of the punk.